Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am excited today to welcome Rick Webster, who I've gotten to know in the last few years as we've explored, and, and he's been doing some really interesting work in the world of, of bringing finances or financial management to the everyday human person in a way that we can understand and afford. So we're going to talk about that. Rick, welcome. I'm really glad you're here today. Thank you. And so we don't do bios here on the podcast because we find bios to be a little on the boring side. So people will have your bio and be able to read all about you on the podcast. But I would rather start by asking you to tell us a little bit about what is the work with you that you do with families of what we like to call complex kids um, and how you came to be doing this work. You just sort of what brought you here to this conversation with me? A whole bunch of different things have brought me to this point, I think. So I... I work mostly with the ADHD community, neurodiverse in that area. And of course, that there's a lot of comorbid issues that go along with that. And I was fascinated by your book, you know, Complex Kids. It's, it's um, a lot of it was kind of reinforcing. It's really nice to hear a professional that, that kind of, you know, sees what I've seen from a lay pers- pers- perspective with yeah. my own kids and stuff. But I do think we definitely need to address complex kids differently than neurotypical kids. I mean, I th- there's a huge risk factor of alienating them and stunting their growth and kind of crippling their creativity if we're not very careful. So I guess what brought me to this is a the realization of my own ADHD and then a, you know, a certain social consciousness which had directed my work. And then I just melded those two. And I said, you know, there's, this is a huge issue. 61% of us with ADHD have significant and severe financial difficulties over the course of our life according to Russell Barkley, who's a consummate researcher. And it's that alone diminishes uh, life expectancy by 12 years. People don't realize how serious this issue is. And if you can't, you know. When you say this issue, do you mean financial, living under under the burden of financial stress? Do you mean yeah. not having a sustainable wage? Like, what does that mean for you? Yeah, sustainable wage is part of it, but living under that stress. And if we think of Maslow's hierarchy needs, which I think everybody who's been through 10th grade and high school knows about the money is a deficiency need. And until we have enough of it, we can't look at anything else. We can't be emotionally available for our kids. We, we can't do all the other things in life. It's like water. If you don't have enough, you'll do whatever it takes. It's the only thing you can think about. But once you have enough money, you know, it's a myth. You don't need more and more and more. You may want more and for whatever reason, but you don't really need it. And you can concentrate on, you know, deeper things in your life. I had a coach once who said money doesn't buy happiness, but it touches everything that does. Yes. And it, it does up to a point. There's a right. Point. 
And, you know, obviously, if you're living under a bridge, a little bit of money is going to make you a lot happier. But once you're beyond that point and you have decent housing and food and, and all those things, then it literally is a deficiency need. You don't need more to be happier. And you can see that all the way up the economic scale that people with tons of money are not necessarily happy. By any stretch, by any right. stretch. So you must have had a background in financial management of some variety that brought you to this. Yeah, I kind of cut my teeth on the in the real estate world and then the real estate renovation and then develop real estate development and then joint ventures and got into lending as a direct lender myself. And then I, you know, kind of morphed into a brokerage because I could extend my reach. My passion prior, just prior to this was turning tenants into owners. Tenants, the number one difference between the have and have nots in this country is home ownership. It's, it's the number one difference. You know, we, they always talk about the, you know, people like Elon Musk who have $300 billion, whatever. That, that, that's really not the issue. I mean, it is another issue, but the average person, the average per homeowner has a net financial worth of 35 times what the average tenant has. Tenants are flatlined. They're not getting anywhere. It's almost, someone will write me a letter about this, but it's almost criminal to rent property, in my opinion. I believe we need to get into the home ownership where you have a little bit of equity stake and build that. So that was really my passion. And I was having trouble raising more money to continue doing that. We were buying houses for, for tenants and, and selling them on terms they could afford we couldn't raise enough money to continue that in a, in a big enough way like I wanted to do. And I got together with my right-hand person, Kat, at the time. And I said, what's working here? And that's one of the things about entrepreneurship. You know, things don't always work the way you want. So you got to say, okay, what is working? We're what is gonna, working? Yeah, we're yeah. not going to throw the baby out with a bathwater. What's working here? And what was working is we were getting letters of gratitude from people saying we'd changed their lives with the, you know, with the financial information we're giving them. And, for me, that's worth a lot more than any paycheck. So we just said, well, okay, well, let's do that. They can buy their own home once we teach them how to manage money. So we started Renify in that goal of teaching people, not the mechanics, the simplicity of, you know, fourth grade math of budgets and all that stuff, but we really delve into behavioral finance. Why do we make the decisions we make? Why do we own that kayak that we didn't even know we wanted in the morning? Now we have it in our garage. We don't even know where to put it. And we have a $700 charge on our credit card. Why do we do that, right? We make so many mistakes. So I want to go back and ask, because you and I have talked about this before, and that distinction between the behavioral choices that we make in terms of money. But then there's this other practical, tactical, like, budgeting, finance, not everybody gets that education. I know I never got that education. No doubt. No doubt. So, so is that not also an important component? I know that when, you know, parents are going to be listening to this and parents are trying to look at this issue of how do I prepare my kids for fiscal responsibility as adults? There are some skills they need there. There's some information. There are mechanical skills that underlie all of it, of, of course. Just like in the, in the dieting and weight issue, it, obviously, it comes down to calories in and how many calories you're burning, how much exercise you're getting, and all those kind of mechanical things. But if that was the main problem, there wouldn't be a problem in the weight area, right? So people would not have financial issues if it was only about doing the fourth grade math of budgeting. Yes, absolutely. We have to learn budgeting techniques, but we can teach that in, in minutes. You know, I, I kind of joke about it, but I'm not, I'm actually serious. When I tell people I can teach them everything they need to really know, not the nuances, but everything you really need to know about personal budgeting in five minutes, and I can have four minutes left over, and I can absolutely do that, because the fact is the mechanical aspects are not complicated. 
Okay, so we've got more than nine minutes. So okay. let's do one minute, by the way. Okay, so what are those mechanical pieces the parents need to attend to or know is important or, or young adults need to so that we can kind of compartmentalize that and put it away and pay attention to the behavioral pieces that underlie it? Yep. What are they? Well, I would start with not spending money that we don't have. Right and now, there's a thing in in the financial world of leverage, positive and negative leverage. That's when you borrow money to buy something. Negative leverage is when you borrow seven hundred dollars on a credit card to buy that seven hundred dollar kayak, and you put it on your card and you only make a minimum payment of twenty bucks. And now you're paying fourteen percent. That's negative leverage because the the asset you bought is plummeting in value. So I would start off with my kids saying, teach them about credit. Right. You you don't want them to be 18, go off to college and their first experience is, you know, some guys at a card table with with a bunch of credit card applications. You don't want that to be their first experience. So you want to teach them that borrowing money is a responsibility. It comes with responsibilities. And if you're going to use a credit card, what we absolutely committed to teach is that that credit card is very much a, a good tool for you, but it's not your money. So you don't want to charge something and then not pay it off. You should be paying those credit cards off every single month. And that's easier to teach a high school kid to do that when the limit is $200 on the card and they make, they make some mistakes as we all do. It's a $200 problem. If you wait until they're 35, now it's a $25,000 problem. And it's sometimes insurmountable and leads to bankruptcy. So I guess that would be, long story short, it's too late for that, I guess. But I would, I would start with the small stuff. I would teach okay. them how to manage a credit card. I would teach them how to you know, manage their checkbook. I would teach them how to sign up with an application such as Mint. And I, I don't, you know, whatever. There's lots of applications out there. But so that they can take that information from, from their checking account, put it into Mint and actually see their budget on a, in a pie chart. Okay. So some kind of and Mint, I'm assuming, is some application for... Mint's an application, and and I'm not promoting any particular one. Understood. That's why I want you to explain what it is rather than who it is. Yeah. So the trajectory would be you either have Quicken or QuickBooks, and there's others, all options to this. One of them is for personal, one's for business. You would have one of those, and then it would take the information out of your checking account, your credit cards, and crunch those numbers for you. You don't need to be pulling out a piece of paper and you know putting it on a spreadsheet or anything. And then Mint would pull those numbers out of Quicken, which was where they were entered, and it would crunch them again and show you pie charts and things like that. And then ultimately, you would sign up for something such as TurboTax, and it would take the numbers out of Mint, and it would crunch your numbers and do your taxes for you. Obviously, you need to oversee these things. Um, That is actually one of the things to teach kids right away, too. So one is, is monitor the money. And that's whether, you know, in the old days, it was a checkbook. Now it's quick in QuickBooks, something like that. Right. And then there's a next step, which is look at the big picture of where your money is. And that's meant, what, what do you call these apps? Are they financial management apps? Are they like, what would, how would, would it be described? Them. I would call okay. them. That. I mean, you can search for a minute. It's a billion dollar company. I believe it's still owned by Intuit. Um, Okay. And then that takes you to, and that gives you the information you need when it's time to do your taxes. Right. You know, the apps are what they are, but the, the concept here as adults, we want to get out of the idea of doing things and get into the, the habit of overseeing those things. When you have a high school kid, it's really easy to start off that way. So they don't have those bad habits, but if anybody is still 
putting a stamp on a check and mailing it out, right? It, that's a recipe for having a huge ADHD tax, right? That's a recipe for being laid on things. And plus you, you got better things to do with your life than writing a check. So unless you're over 80, cause it makes my mother very happy. <laughs> I, I will say that my dad to his, to his last days, he, he would not do things like he knew how to do some of the stuff electronically, yeah. but he wanted to go down and talk to the bank teller. Right. Right. There was a relationship involvement. Okay. So the foundational pieces, tools, or know where your money is, monitor your money, pay attention to it. And then there's this other piece you were talking about, you know, don't spend money you've already got. So how do you talk about debt when you're dealing with families who have kids who want to go to college in this day and age? Where does that interplay come in? That's a perfect segue because part of what teaching a high school kid how to manage money is also teaching about savings. We need to learn how to live below our means. That doesn't mean a life of deprivation. It simply means don't spend every dime that you get. When you're 35 years old and you're in debt up to your ears, you can't save 10% of your money anymore because you're, you're spending everything you get. And it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's, it's a challenge. And there are solutions to that. We talk about those. But when you're a high school kid, it's easy. They don't have that many debts. They don't have that many problems. They've got their paper route or their job at Starbucks, whatever it happens to be, and they're making some money, teach them to set aside a certain amount of that in some account where they will virtually never pull that money out of. And at first mm-hmm. they're going to understand why would I never pull money out of it? But you teach them that at some point, and this is another concept, I know you want to get into the budgeting part of it, but another difference between the haves and have-nots in this country, we need to shift from being an income-based personal economy to an asset-based personal economy. That is a difference between the well-off people and the people who struggle. If you are dependent- So I don't know what that means. Can you translate that into English? Yeah. If you are dependent upon your hours of work and your income that you're doing, no matter how much money that is, it could be $250,000 a year. If you are dependent upon that earned income, you will never be financially free, right? You will always have to do that work in order to have it. But if you take your money and set it aside- and turn it slowly into assets, right? First starts off with a bank account, then it goes into a securities account where you have securities and then maybe you start buying a piece of property or something. So those assets will generate money on their own, right? And at some point, that's kind of your, what we call financial freedom day, when those assets are generating enough money that you can completely live on it. You don't have to go to work anymore. You're not dependent on anybody, anybody's paycheck. Mm -hmm. Um, So we want to move from that income-based personal economy to an asset-based as we go. If you think about it, when you retire, you don't want to work anymore. Right. You don't have assets that are producing the money it takes for you to live on. Um, and, you know, social security income, that is an asset. Um, so I think that's a really important thing to teach kids right off the bat, because uh, I'll tell you, if I knew that when I was, when I was 18, you know, I would, I would have been financially free by the time I was 30. I mean, because it would have been a priority for you. And and it would have it just would have happened. Not that I'm anything special. Just as an average person, if you start at 18 and you were setting aside, I don't want to go too far down another rabbit hole. But if you're setting aside enough and not living a life of deprivation, those assets will be paying more than what you're earning. Depending, yeah. obviously, depends what you're earning. Well, actually, it doesn't because the more you're earning, the more you're going to be setting aside. So that would balance out. Well, I'm thinking, so several things are coming up. And so I want to see what we have time to address. One is I want to talk to for a moment to parents of younger kids, because we've kind of been talking about teenagers and above. And I want to talk to parents of younger kids, because 
One of the things that I was exposed to when my kids are little, that in hindsight, based on what you're saying, I think was really great. And it was luck was somebody introduced this unusual kind of bank, not bank, but a, a piggy bank variation where it had three columns in it. And each of my kids got one. And when they would get their allowance or their money from grandparents or whatever it was, some money went into spending, some money went into saving and some money went into charity. Mm -hmm. And so we taught them from really young ages that a percentage of their money went into all of those. And we had deals with each of them about how much of their allowance would go into charity or whatever. And at the end of the year, we would all pool our resources and decide where we were giving our money to charity. Um, It was, it was really nice. But the most important part of what you're saying is that I raised their awareness to saving and spending and charity at a really early age. I just lucked into it, y'all, just by the way. (laughs) I didn't have this benefit. But it sounds like that's the way to set the stage is to start with awareness. Absolutely. It's all about awareness, really. And that's what we talk about. Renify people don't know why they make the decisions they make. There are precursors to every action that we take, every single action, whether you turn left or right out of your driveway was a decision that was made in your head long before you got to that point. Everything we do has precursors. And if we can begin to be aware of what those are, if we can interrupt problems farther upstream before they're big, if we can set ourselves up to be doing the right things farther upstream when they're easier, we do so much better down the road. And I really appreciate that you brought up the idea of giving. I'm real big on life satisfaction and what it what it really means to be happy, right? It doesn't mean having $18 million. That is not going to make you happy. It won't make you unhappy necessarily. It's not going to make you happy. This idea of giving and realizing the world is a bigger place than just you and that you're part of it, that's a huge thing. Yeah, it is. I mean, for me, a huge value in what I do is the contribution I'm able to make. And, you know, and what I want to be able to do in terms of my own personal finances and wealth is to be able to stroke whatever check I want to be able to stroke to whatever organization that to me is the ultimate financial freedom. Totally agree. Yeah. So, so I want to go back. So we were talking about younger kids and then I was asking that question about debt in college. So let's go back to that because that's confusing for a lot of us. On the one hand, we're saying, you know, spend what you've got. And the other hand, you know, they're getting a message, go a hundred thousand dollars in debt to go to college. Yeah, that's very controversial, and, and and I just don't really have a handle on that myself. I've got four kids. They all went through school. They had it, it cost tons and tons of money, and yeah. from a financial perspective, I don't actually think it was a, a a great deal in terms of what was cost. And you know, and one of my kids is going back to school again in a PhD program. So I, I, in fact, I guess maybe two of them are. They're both in process, but anyway, they're they're adults. And I look at all the money that went into that. From a financial perspective, I don't think it was a good deal. I think I could have invested that money or they could have invested that money and been far better off financially. However, However. <laughs> going to college is not just about what they teach you. You know, we in my industry, in kind of the tech, more tech industry, we talk about how knowledge is no longer monetizable, right? It, it isn't. Knowledge right. is anywhere and it's free, right? So we can get that knowledge anywhere, but college is also about socialization. It's about, at least for me, when I went to, to a university, I met people from all over the world and I met people who knew things I didn't have any clue about. And so I think that's the broadening aspect of that type of an education. It's not the knowledge. 
Well, it, and it's the capacity for critical thinking and for, for navigating nuances and circumstances. I mean, there's so much more yes. that I see that kids, you know, as I've watched some of, one of my kids did not go to college, but had a different experience that was akin. And then the others who did, and you can see the difference in, in the life skills they learn in terms of, of critical thought. Yes. And I think yeah. a lot of that comes from interacting with whatever 20,000 of the kids their age with professors who are specialists in their fields and, and obviously know how to be successful. So, yeah, and a lot of kids in our community are not going to go to college and, and there are a lot of other ways they can do that. And what I hear you saying is that financially there's another way for them to kind of, to set themselves up for long-term success without that college degree. Oh, yeah. In the tech world, you can ask any number of people who are the head of these major corporations what they thought about college. They all dropped out. <laughs> not a matter of financial success necessarily. I mean, maybe it is for, for the general population. It definitely helps. You know, another thing, and, and you may want to cut this out later, I don't know, but the you know, they always talked, and it always bugged me, they always talked about how the, the higher level of degree you had, the more money you made. Well, that's not a causation necessarily. That's correlation. People who attain higher degrees have a lot of other privileges and they're generally smarter and they would make more money whether they went with the higher degree or not. So mm -hmm. I think the correlation, they, they're more successful at their work. It was not because they were successful in school. Um, yeah. so it's not the degree, but I, the degree is open. They open barriers to entry. They, they allow you to become a doctor. For example, you're not going to do that without a medical degree. So they're For sure. I hope. I hope. All right. Yeah. So believe it or not, we're going to have to start wrapping up our conversation. Tell us, tell people how you've, you've mentioned the name of Renify, but let's slow down and help people here. How can they find out more about you and, and the support you offer this community in terms of financial understanding and management? Yeah, I think, well, that, they can find out about us simply by going to our, our website, right? Renify. Which is Renify. And there's a dash in there. There's yes. a dash. If they leave out the dash, they'll still get there. But Great. yeah, renify.com. And that's going to be in the show notes. Yes. And what we do, I think it's critical. We talk about the Maslow's. I, I I don't do it just obviously a business has to make some money, right? It has to has to float itself, but that's not why I'm doing it. I do it because of the incredible problems out there that people have that are unnecessary. I, I've talked to a lot of people and it's almost heartbreaking to, to hear how little bits of information that are missing cause these huge problems, the kingdoms that are lost for want of a nail. Right. So we, we're not free. We're, I think it's $69 for six months now. We're about as cheap as we can possibly get it. In fact, we're cheaper than we can get it, but we'll survive that for a while. Um, so it's. Understood. From what, from one social entrepreneurship to another, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea though, is we, we do talk about budgeting. I mean, Kelly Long is one of our instructors. She's a CPA and she talks about all the mechanical aspects of that. Finding your financial bliss is how she does it and sees it. But we also talk a lot about the emotional aspects of what's going on, what's driving these behaviors. Why are we spending impulsively? Why do we have a fancy car and a huge car payment and we don't even own a house yet? What is driving these kind of decisions that are, you know, Jonathan Haidt, has a great metaphor. You can look him up. He's a, he's a social psychologist. It's called the elephant and the rider. The elephant is this 10,000 pound elephant. And that's our emotional mind, metaphorically, obviously. And the rider is 140 pounds. That's our, that's our rational mind that came along later in our evolution. If your rational mind wants something and your elephant doesn't, your, your emotional mind doesn't, it's not going to happen. 
not going to happen. The rational mind is really there to help you get what the elephant wants in a socially acceptable way, right? That's really what it's all about. And we need to align those two. And we spend a lot of time talking about what's out of alignment in your life. And, you know, for the person, I always take it back to weight because it's, it's, it's a non-emotional issue for someone who doesn't have the weight problem, but does have a financial problem. If you look at the weight issue, it's not about calories in, calories out. It isn't. If it was that simple, they wouldn't have a weight problem. It's about they had an argument with someone at work and they'd been on their diet for six weeks and everything was going fine. And they come home, and they don't feel good to eat the entire chocolate cake in the refrigerator. That's not about calories. That's an emotional issue. Yeah. So we talk about those things. Those are, we talked about precursors. The precursor to eating the chocolate cake was the argument with the boss. And maybe if some something could have interrupted that pattern before the diet was blown, could have been okay. And in our case, if something could interrupt before you go out and buy your $90,000 Range Rover and have a $1,200 payment, right? If something could interrupt that pattern first and say, does my future self really want this? Maybe not. Maybe my future self would rather put my kids through college than look good to the neighbors. Yeah. And, well, you know, and there's there's so much there's so much here. I know that we could go on forever. Is there something else that you want to share for or make sure our listeners take away from today? Like as we wrap up this conversation, is there a bottom line for you or something you haven't been able to share that you want to make sure they hear? You know, not not on a money issue, but I've been thinking about it almost since you we began talking because I have I have four daughters. Two of them have ADHD. Um, I think it's really important as parents that we don't fight the battles with our kids, right? We need to be on our kid's side. Mm -hmm. How often we forget that, you know, it's it's like, what's the bigger picture here? Is it that the homework has to get done today so they don't get an F on the test tomorrow? That's not the big picture. So I think it's important for us to be on our kid's side, even when we're scared. What I found out about my kids Mm -hmm. is they had all the drive and ambition they needed. I just had to get out of their way. Yeah. And I had to intercede a little bit from schools, which were kind of beating them over the head with things. I, you know, I still remember a conversation with my, one of my daughter's algebra teachers, and he was so worried. So your kid's going to fail algebra. And I, I think he was kind of set back on his heels a little bit when I said, okay, You're right. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. What I want is my kid to be healthy. And we did yeah. end up with a one accommodation was that, you know, don't give my kid 30 questions. Give her, give her three. Give her, right. And, tough. and he did that. And that kid who was failing high school algebra now has a master's degree in math. So we have to get out of the way. Yeah, I love that. So much of what we do is about building the relationship and the foundation of of all of our kids' independence we know starts with relationships. So I appreciate that message. So as we wrap up, you know, I mentioned to you, we always like to ask a a favorite quote or motto for our guests to share. Um, And when we first started talking, you said you had lots of them and we would see what shows up for you in this conversation. So what has showed up? What has shown up? Yeah, well, one of them I actually, I stole from Carolyn Mace, one of my favorite spiritual teachers, and it's spelled M-Y-S-S, but pronounced Carolyn Mace. She says, where to from here? And I think that is a lot of times when we're just mired down and we're ruminating over the past and we're threatened by the future, it's really the one question we should be asking ourselves is, I'm here, I want to be over there, how am I going to do it? Where to from here? It's such a simple little thing to bring us back to reality. My very first coach told me, and, and this was so important because I was working 14 hours a day and getting nowhere. In fact, I was going broke. And she said, Ricky, you, you got to slow down to move faster. And yeah. I was this frenetic vibration. But when I slowed down and 
did less, which is another mantra for me, do, do fewer things and do them better, right? When I slowed down, I got it right. You know, my, right. my dad used to say over and over to me, I never got it, but he always said, you know, nobody seems to have a right time to do it right the first time, but everybody can do it twice. Right, right. right. It's true. Yeah. And, and my, my coach says much the same thing is slow down to speed up. And we do a lot of work with parents about slow down. Let's, let's just breathe a little bit, take a moment. Let's not race through it. Yeah. So these are all ADHD. Really honor that. Yes. But yeah, there's another one I say to myself when I'm kind of in a panic or stressed, I just say, you know, where's the fire? There's no fire here, right? You know, this is all intellectual. It's all in my head. It's all, you know, the worldly stuff. There's no actual fire. Nothing's burning down. So slow down and get it right. Love that. And then Beautiful. another thing I always used ever since I had kids, and I tell myself now too, because a lot of times we do the things we like and we don't do the things we don't like, and we pay a high price for that. You know, I find on the small things, I just say, you know, dinner before dessert. I'm going to write this blog post. I don't want to do it. I feel stressed and anxious because someone's going to read it and judge it. All this, all the things that keep me from doing it. And I want to go take a walk. I want to go out in nature and given left my own devices, I would do that. But if I say, you know what, it's just an hour. I can sit here for an hour. I can write the blog. I'm going to have my dinner and then I'll go do what's fun. I'll have my dessert. I love that. Yeah. All right, Rick, thank you for, for your time, for your wisdom, and really for what you're bringing to the world and to this community. It's, it's important work. It's been, it's been needed and long overdue. And so I really want to honor what you're doing at Renify and, and the conversations that you're inviting parents to have about having healthy relationships with money, because that's the foundation of what, what I hear you talking about. So yes. thanks for being here. Thank to you. those of you tuning in, thanks for being here. Thanks for what you're doing for yourself, for your kids. Know that it makes a difference. And we will see you on the next call. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.